Welcome to the Ankler Podcast, uh, recording here on March 24th, Friday. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler. Joining me today are uh, Mr. March Madness and uh, Madness Every Month, Richard Rushfield from Los Angeles. Richard, how are you? Oh, good, good. Good morning. Um, the basketball season is off, right? <laughs> it's it's, it's off and there. running. The, the midway point of the uh, the tournament there, Richard. So uh, we'll get to your picks in a little bit. Uh, also, right. uh, Elaine Lowe joining us from Los Angeles. Hello, Elaine. Hello, good morning. Good morning. And we have uh, Sonny Bunch with us, who's a, a columnist and critic for both The Bulwark and The Washington Post and host of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood podcast, which you can now find on theankler.com for your listening pleasure. Sonny, welcome to the podcast and welcome to uh, theankler.com. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you can go and check out his full archive over there at theankler.com, which I highly recommend you do a few podcasts or one podcast in, uh, that I recommend off the bat, which we'll get into our first topic, is you did a recent chat with uh, Sean Ryan, who is uh, a former uh, is, is a, a TV series creator of The Shield, uh, SWAT, and he is the night agent just dropped on uh, on Netflix, and a former WGA uh, lead negotiator, I guess he was, or certainly was on the negotiating team, right, Sonny? Yeah, he was on the negotiating committee uh, uh, for, I think, the last five or six uh, uh, negotiations before this one. Yeah, so your conversation with him was, I mean, if you want to insight into everything that goes on, all the issues facing the writers, I thought that was an excellent overview and conversation, not only about just deal negotiation and, you know, the kind of the misconceptions that come out, but also just the, the nature of the the writing ecosystem. The apprenticeship program is a little broken, uh, which he really detailed and just in a general uh, sense of it. If you've never been a writer or, or been on a set, he really laid it out pretty well, so... That podcast is there as, as well as many others. Um, and speaking of which, Richard, uh, WGA uh, studio negotiations week one are over. How are the uh, ratings? A lot of people tuning <laughs> yeah. in there, Richard. Or uh... Uh, the, everyone was was waiting for it to, it to start and for the uh, teams to come together and sit down at the table. And uh, after a week, we they they've done it, and we know just about nothing. We we know maybe <laughs> less than we knew a week ago. Um, the 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 one thing to sort of come out um was a little fracas this week about um whether ai is going to be accounted for in 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 a new contract and maybe the writers guild is 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 uh ready to consider that uh ai as writing and some something that they cause a big backlash and they walk back a bit we don't know the truth of of how far that is in the contract at this point yeah, which is certainly it's not job one, Richard. I think you know AI isn't. The, <laughs> I mean, it is very important. It is going to be a, a looming factor, especially in the years to come. But the, the main negotiating tactic or point was not AI. I guess is a fair statement, right? Yeah, I mean, so everybody is focused on on the writers' guild and how the how the writers are responding, and everything. And the big question mark that's remained um, for you know a year now or, or more, and getting bigger as we approach is. What are the studios specifically? What are the streaming uh, studios going to put on the table here? And if, if you want to know what's going to happen, the 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 answer, the answer comes: When do specifically Apple, Amazon, and Netflix decide to make some real concessions to the way the world is developed? And maybe they're making them today, or maybe they'll make them a year from now after a year of strike. That's really the only question right now, and we don't have much insight into that. Certainly. We haven't seen um, uh, Andy Jassy or Tim Cook uh, step forward and say, "Listen, it's there's been a big disruption uh, as a result of the, of the streaming, and 
we want to roll up our sleeves and figure out a way to make this a livable, sustainable industry for everybody. So we're going to be engaging the guild on figuring out how to do that. That's that's the kind of statement we haven't heard in the last year. We're just looking and waiting to see, uh, did they come to the table and say, our offer is uh, you can no longer park on the lot. You find street parking, and and, uh, and 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 if you're if you're ten minutes late, we dock you a week's pay. Right. Um, right. Or are they gonna are they gonna be seriously ready to engage? We just don't have any sense of that yet. Yeah, and one of the you mentioned Andy Jassy and Tim Cook, which you know, look, uh, these are smaller parts of their companies, but even someone who I think fancies himself as uh, face of the town in the business, Ted Sarandos, I haven't really seen seen him saying much either, Richard. I don't, you know, not as someone who that's all they do at Netflix, and this affects their business one hundred percent. I haven't seen them out there saying anything, and probably for good reason, I would guess, right? No, and the statements you hear from Netflix. Are along the lines of well, uh, we have we have you know a hundred years worth of uh, shows in the in the in the can right now, and we can just space them out a little more than we're doing, and 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 wait while everybody else goes out of business. And if we need more, uh, we do half our filming or something like that overseas anyway. So uh, we can just keep we can just keep doing that. And uh, there are a lot of countries around the world where they speak English even. That are in America, where we can we can shoot things. Um, they have given no sign of alarm or concern about a the possibility of a strike, and there's not much reason to think that 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 they would be alarmed by that, other than you know wanting to keep keep a industry sustainable with a uh, broad array of uh, of workers who can make a living out of this. Yeah. Sunny, anything standing out from you, uh, standing out for you so far? I know you and Richard had talked about this a little while ago in your podcast. Will the studios and streamers stick together through this whole process, or will there be different negotiations? Or curious what your take is at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a strong take yet because, as Richard says, we don't really have any any new information. Right. I like I I'm as I'm as much in the dark as 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 you guys. I mean, I, I the the big question it seems to me is. Uh, how how are the writers going to get more money? Are they going to get more money via some form of residual that's based on success of a show on streaming, long tail sort of thing, right? Or is that out the window uh, entirely going forward? Is are is the guild going to focus more on getting minimums up, getting more writers in the room, um, front loading pay instead of back loading it? And I'm I, I'm really curious because I, I you know. It, it, it's it's a sea change in how uh, payments would be structured. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big change, and maybe that makes more sense. Maybe that makes more sense in a world where you know something goes on Netflix and it's huge for two weeks and then it disappears like everything else. You know, you you mentioned the 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 podcast I did with Sean Ryan. He mentioned you know back in the day he worked on Nash Bridges and you know when he when you, when you write a script for a show like Nash Bridges you get paid a certain amount of money for the first airing and then in repeats you get a certain amount of money and then when it shows up in syndication you get a certain amount of money um and those are all kind of based on ad sales right the idea here is they they're putting this thing on TV they're selling ads against it they're making a ton of money every time they show it so that's not how streaming works. That's not how streaming works. And maybe it is going to be how streaming works going forward with ad tiers and all that. But I, I don't know. I, I, so the the real question here is how much are they going to focus on residuals and how are they going to confirm that? Now, Sean, I know you are not 
you are a little bit suspicious of the idea that data is going to be the thing that saves the writers. Exactly. Uh, and, and Sean had a great story about that's how he paid for his wedding was a, re, a, a residual from one, one script he wrote paid for his wedding yeah. from, uh, from Nash Bridges, which, which is a great story. Uh, yeah, I think you nailed it on the head, you know, in a sense, these previous deals, even, you know, the most recent one, which wasn't that long ago was based on the business that doesn't exist anymore. There are 600 TV shows. Uh, I don't know, 80 to 90% are not on traditional television anymore, or at least are on streaming, if not entirely based on streaming. You know, the 22 episode season ain't coming back. Syndication, you know, TBS isn't buying more sitcoms. Like these things are, you know, that's all a decreasing business, you know. The 10 or 13 episode series is even now the six to eight episode series. Like even 13 episodes is probably a lot for a show now. This is the new reality of it, but the, this deal hasn't really, or the, in the past, hasn't reflected all this. So yeah, to your point, Sonny, okay, that's fine if it shifts, but we have to be still make a living and make money. How do we make the money? It used to be this. It's not going to be this. So what's it going to be? Number one, as you said, probably raising minimums um, for scripts. Number two, you know, spam protection. These that's these are the two big things that they can do to get writers more money right away. So you're not spending a year on an eight episode series. You know, uh, you're going to be paid either by the you know maybe it's not whatever by the month or instead of by the script, whatever the answer might be, but paid more for your time than for a script because that script fee was based at a time when you did 22 scripts a year, which you don't do anymore. So that has to be that has to change. But this idea that streaming residuals is going to be a, a you know a panacea or something there's this idea out there that that no, having the data is is going to be the big change and richard you've always made a good point which i, I don't want to i want to separate here that having the data can help you influence what the audience wants and having that feedback loop and i'm not talking about that i think that's very important to know what the audience is watching but as a payment mechanism most shows don't work and when you do 600 even more shows don't work so this notion that a, a streaming residual for a show that wasn't watched in the first place and got canceled after one season, uh, you know, I pick it, you know, it's an example of this show, Friends from College, which was a Nick Stoller show for Netflix. Uh, you know, we actually got a second season. It didn't, you know, and it was canceled. It didn't do extremely well. I doubt anybody's watching that show anymore. Yeah. It's not being sold into syndication. There's just sitting on Netflix. Nobody's watching it. So there's no streaming residual for you wrote on that show. So the notion that that would carry someone over or, uh, you know, it's just a little bit yeah. of a, I think, be careful what you wish for in a sense, Sonny. I don't, you know, I don't well, have to be careful, but. Right. But on, on top of that, I mean, I think it was really telling that in the WGA, you know, list of action items or whatever that, that right. they put out there, that data was not on it. I was shocked, actually. I was, I was that they, that there wasn't, there wasn't a greater emphasis on data transparency. And it like, it has become very, very clear that they're more interested um, the WGA negotiating team is more interested in minimums, right. uh, uh, term lengths, that sort of thing. They they want to get more money up front, less money in the back end. And again, that's just a that's just a massive shift on how the TV industry works. I like I'm I'm really curious to see how it plays out. Yeah, but I mean, the, it's not how it works. It's how people consume it. That's already changed. You know, it's just the the deal just hasn't reflected the change that's gone on. I mean, Elaine is is this streaming data as this? Uh, you know, am I kind of Making more out of that, do you think, or is you know, is it kind of uh, in two years? Could we be having a, b- a bunch of people saying, you know, what I kind of miss the days when we just got bought out, like it was a, su- a success, and I don't get paid on the success of my show and streaming, or 
Well, I think, you know, Sonny's right. And when you look at the pattern of demands, right, that were overwhelmingly, it's like 98% or something uh, approved by the membership, right? It's not so much focus on the data as as figuring out those term lengths, because right now, as we've talked about before, it's unsustainable to be in the business of TV writing with the way the streaming economic model works, especially right. one of their bigger uh, items, which I thought was, you know, just talked about pretty prominently is 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 what they call the abuses of, of like mini rooms. Right. Um, and when you have these small rooms and they get stretched out for however many months and months for what, eight to 10 episodes that you might normally take to break 22 to 24 twice as much right yeah yeah but you're only getting paid for that it's like i've talked to writers who are are like yeah you know i i might be in this one mini room for however many months and you know that a takes up this much amount of time i you know precludes opportunities for for me to work on other shows um you know sometimes there are there's exclusivity involved too um and that could be it for the year and so it's like yeah you might be making whatever 60 70k off of this mini room and off of this eight to ten episode order but then if that's it for the year that's not sustainable in los angeles or or new york yeah uh, richard i mean you've always talked a lot about data and access to data you know more in terms of influencing you know feed the feedback loop um but what is your where where do you where you where is your thinking on this at this point i mean i think it it all has to go together together i think you can't have a system where the the creators and the writers their their pay is just completely divorced from the uh, results of the show. And, and, you know, maybe that means maybe that only affects 1% of the shows that become hits or, or something, but they're someone who's creating a show. This isn't someone who was hired to, to just, you know, help out on the, on the loading dock for a couple, a couple days while they're filming, they created the show. And, and that includes not just the creator themselves, but the writers who, who, who wrote that and they should have some stake if it becomes, you know, Wednesday or, or only you or something like that to just, to to just then hear, well, you you know you got your thousand dollars a week, so so what what do you want from us? Is is uh, separating them from the consequences of their work? It, for writers not to have any stake in the success of their work is is not a healthy thing for a business. Uh, forget about for the writers. It's it's just you you want the people who are making it to uh, be working to make it a success um and not just and, and not just cashing out their uh their their hours and and getting paid for them especially in creative endeavor and and certainly the the feedback loop i mean i i, I think in general we've gotten the uh the, the word in a million ways that the, the guild is not focusing on residuals and our anchor colleague rob long made the point on another podcast that the guild seems to be this time um, correctly in the in the past actions. They've always focused on you know what to, Ryan Murphy is owed five million more. So how how do we get that five million more out of them? And they're focused on the people at the bottom and making sure the people at the bottom um, can make this a sustainable uh, life. And I, I think that is the uh, right emphasis for them. I, I would hope, and it's probably a very vain hope. That out of this, there's a whole step step back and say, we had a sustainable business that kind of made sense, and people worked around the margins and everything. And in the last ten years, that's been that's been destroyed. So how do we build a whole new model that is sustainable and has everybody working together for its success, and um, people can make a, a living off this? Because as like you say, the the old model is gone. 
then it's almost yeah, that question of incentive, Richard, is uh, one that kind of keeps coming up of you being paid to write a show, but are you being, you know, <laughs> to, yeah. to see it, to see its success through, you know, and Sonny, when you talk to Sean Ryan also, like he mentioned, you know, you're hired. Okay. You wrote the scripts, but you're not there on the set guiding it along. You're not there in the edit because you're not being paid to be there for this. It's not the incentive of the of the system, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to talk to uh, folks who worked on network or even, you know, basic cable shows about how the uh, one of the things you learn as a writer uh, is when on the days and the weeks when you're not writing, you're on set, you're helping production, you're you're learning the ropes um, as you, you, you describe it as an apprenticeship system. And that's about right. That's like, yeah. you know, that's how that's how you train the next generation of showrunners. And you don't have that now, which is why you have a lot of uh you have some shows i won't say a lot you have some shows where you have inexperienced showrunners being thrown onto the set and being asked to put a show together and they don't have any idea what they're doing um right. it's a problem it's a problem for i mean it's a problem for the streamers as much as it is for the the creators and inexperienced because... executives who were assistants two weeks ago overseeing those shows right. also exactly I mean, so many writers i've talked to have said that the pipeline is broken you know, when you're talking about how do you become a showrunner, how do you get that producing experience when you're not given that opportunity, when you're not incentivized to have that opportunity on set? And then what does that do for an inexperienced showrunner who's being tossed into the deep end? And you kind of think about the ripple effect of that, right? Like, what does it mean? You know, it's the same thing with reporters, right? It's like, just because you're a good writer doesn't mean you're a good manager of people. And there's a certain skill set that you have to learn in order to get to those certain levels and have both a creatively and financially um, lucrative uh, business, right? And a, and a show that works on many different levels. And so I think you were looking at something greater than just how are people getting paid? Because it all goes hand in hand, right? With how does this impact the creative process? How does this impact the way you work with other people and, and the finished product? Yeah. Uh, more to come in week two, Richard. I guess uh, we still have five weeks to go. <laughs> is this going to be more five weeks? They can they might push back a month or ex- extend it. So we'll, uh, we have yeah. at least five weeks to go. Right. I think you had mentioned all. Yeah, exactly. It's it's May first, but there's no reason they can't extend that, right, Richard? <laughs> yeah. Or they, but if they're not getting anywhere, and if the the streamers are saying uh, we have nothing for you, then they 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 might just do it. Um, but let's go to the movie business. That's always a fun place to hang out. Uh, Apple is investing 0.2% of their 2022 revenue in the theatrical movie business. Sonny, the savior is here. No, <laughs> I, I find this fascinating. So Apple, Apple says they're going to spend a billion dollars on movies like, uh, the new Scorsese, the new Ridley Scott, the new Matthew Vaughn movie. Like they're, they're going to, they're committing to theatrical. They're going to, they're going to spend on, you know, not only production, but also distribution costs and, advertising which, and all that this follows which, amazon which, saying something which, by similar. the way a billion dollars does not go far when you're talking about yeah that's for five movies that, that, that right <laughs> right or, i mean if th- you're three movies when you consider pna and everything else right i mean it, it could it, it depends exactly it depends on how big these movies are and how much they're actually going to spend on on uh pna um amazon said something similar uh, a couple weeks back so you know the the tech giants are sans netflix are like hey we're gonna do this we're gonna do this thing we're gonna we're gonna get into it if you if you talk to people who own theaters they love this they love this because this means um you know more product and they're 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 refrained over the last 
uh, six months or so has been, look, if you look at if you look at the total grosses versus the total number of wide releases we have, they're they're almost identical. You know, we have 60, 63 percent or whatever the number is, as many wide releases uh, last year as we had in 2019. And we had 64 percent of the domestic box office revenue. So, like, if we get those numbers, if we get the release number back up to 100 percent of 2019, in theory, we'll get the revenue back up to 100%. I don't I don't know if that's true exactly. I think if you look at some of the some of the second tier movies they aren't doing quite as well um yeah. as the second tier movies in 2019 were, but you know, maybe, maybe. So theater owners super excited about this. Um I'm super excited about this cuz I love theaters. <laughs> I I want to go see these movies in theaters. You know, there's nothing sadder than going to see uh Army of the Dead in a landmark movie theater all by myself because nobody knows it's out. Uh, that was a Netflix original, the, the Zack Snyder zombie movie got, got like, uh, you know, a one week play in a handful of theaters, um, that nobody knew about. And that's how most of the Netflix movies, uh, turn out. So Amazon, Apple, they're, they're trying something, uh, bigger and better. I find it really interesting because it, it, and I will be curious to see how it plays out, uh, in, in the long run, because I do have a theory that, um, theatrical exhibition is needed for these movies to be a success on streaming because a it creates in in the audience's mind it creates an imprimatur of quality like this was a movie in theater so it's worth watching at home um that's that is a real thing that that studies have found over and over again um and also uh i i will be very curious to see if what apple very specifically seems to be wanting to do which is to use this as a sort of loss leader for uh, the Apple TV Plus service actually works out because I mean the the big idea here is we advertise this movie in theaters. It's not gonna let, let's just use uh what kill uh, Killers of the Flower Moon um as the example here. That movie costs I I I've seen a lot of numbers thrown out there. Let's say two hundred billion dollars. Exactly. Movie the movie like that costs two hundred million dollars. It needs to grow six hundred million or so worldwide to break even. That's not that's never gonna happen. But if it grosses, you know, a hundred, hundred fifty million dollars, that more or less earns back its its PNA and distribution and all that, um, and it creates buzz for the movie, which then gets people talking about Apple TV Plus. So maybe that leads to an uptick in Apple TV Plus subscribers. I'm, I'll say that I'm curious to see if that works. I, I, I I'm not, I'm not totally sold on it, but I'm not not sold on it either. A well done film marketing campaign is an incredibly powerful promotional tool. Getting 30 million people to say, I want to go see the new John Wick movie is not an easy thing to do. You have to like convince them. You have to say, I want to, you know, get 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 folks out there. I'm I'm curious to see if it works. I mean, when you think about it, bringing up John Wick, like I mean, forget forget about Marvel or these big things. Like, what is the value of John Wick to Lionsgate right now? If, if Lionsgate were going to sell off John Wick, like how much could they get for it? Uh, billions, no doubt. Right. Well, so, well, Lions, well, being sold. I mean, th- that's part of their library. Yeah. Is that they they have the John Wick franchise as part of what their I mean, value is. Is they try to sell or figure out a you know new future for the company. And and John Wick is a reason what the company has is still a company at this point. Right. Uh, I mean, to a degree. So, so say John Wick is is worth billions. If you had could go back in time, and the first John Wick series were being released, if you spent you know an outrageous amount of money. Uh, marketing that first one, say you spent space spent three hundred million dollars just marketing it, and then you get a a franchise that's worth three billion down the line or two billion down the line. That would have been that would have been a smart investment. Um, 
if you spent zero marketing and then you didn't have a Johnic franchise, that would have been a dumb savings. Uh, And that's essentially... The, the streaming world has not produced a, a John Wick. Forget again, forget about Marvel. There's there's no franchise that has an impact on the level of John Wick in all the streaming world. And in how many yeah. experiments have they have they done? Well, I mean, you know, to to your point, Richard. I mean, this is when you say what is what is John Wick as a franchise worth? I, I think it's worth a lot more to a company like Warner Brothers than it is to a company like Netflix. Because I, I like I I. I still don't entirely understand the streaming model of spending $100 million on a two-hour movie when you can spend $100 million on 10, 10-hour TV shows. Uh, like, if you're, if, you're, if you're waging war against sleep, the, the two-hour movie is not, is not the thing that, that wins it for you. It's, it's the TV show that you binge. I mean, I guess the Glass Onion thing worked out for Netflix, kind of, because that was a huge... They did a lot of minutes watched. Many minutes of Glass Onion were watched. Um... But I did, did it drive 10 million subscriptions? What, like, what, like, what? I don't even know what the finances look like for, um, for Netflix on something like that. So I, I find, I find the whole thing very kind of baffling on a very fundamental level. But it's, I mean, I don't know. Who am I to question the seven trillion dollar Netflix machine? (laughs) Well, let's also talk Uh, about the awards halo, right? That having a movie out in theatrical does. It's like you look at Apple. Their big movie, obviously, was Coda, which won two Oscars ago. And I think there was a lot of, there's a big question mark after Coda won, right? Of how is Apple going to build on the success of this? This was an acquisition. This was not a movie produced in-house. Um, very limited theatrical release. What was it, like between one and two million or something? And, uh, you know, I I think the year after that, it was like there were some things in development, but there really wasn't anything big on the slate in the year after Coda. And I wonder how much of that factors into their thinking of, well, now we do have some interesting things on the slate. Like, let's really build the hype for it that way, not just for, obviously, as a marketing tool for the streaming service, which is a big play, but also as a, a marketing campaign for award season. Which which takes you back to the big question of... Uh... What the hell is Apple doing here in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> what what are they looking for out of that? I mean, I don't think they're looking for like their cut of box office tickets or or even their streaming their streaming subscriptions. So it's you know, if this is all just a marketing campaign to to say, look at all the amazing people and the big awards that are involved with Apple, then why not? They cannot possibly care about those box office numbers. I mean, really. Yeah. But uh, clearly, Apple is going for the A-list of the A-list people. And if you're not in theatrical, you're not getting the Leo movie. You're not getting the Brad movie. You're not getting that tier that they want. Marty's movie had that theatrical guarantee. Right? You know, that was part of the deal. The right. F1 Brad Pitt movie has that. That was part of the deal. So this isn't a new thing that Apple's, you know, this story kind of is a midway. As you said, Sonny, they've already spent a lot of money, you know, 400 million or 600, 800 million dollars on movies that were going to be going theatrical at some point during the way anyway. So this is a little bit more of a commitment, but I mean, also Apple's a bit challenged. I mean, name, you know, I mean, emancipation came and went, they just had a movie with Julianne Moore sharper that I, you know, I'm like name Apple movies. They produced a lot of them last year. They named me, you know, one of them. I, I top of my head, I was trying to think of another Apple movie from last year. And I'm like, I really can't, I was like, uh, cha-cha real smooth, but that came out of Sundance. Like that wasn't even why I knew that movie. I think Apple's learning that they've, they've spent the money on movies. They've made a lot of movies. 
they all outside of Coda, which as you said, the land wasn't even an acquisition and came out of Sundance and had a narrative to it. And nothing's really happened. So I think they're looking at what else can we do here, right, Sonny? But what's, once again, what's, what, what have been the big successes for Apple, right? It's been their TV shows. It's been Ted Lasso. It's been Severance. Those are the big, buzzy shows that people talk about. I mean, I think Ted Lasso is the only one that's really made the charts. Um, yeah. but and Shrinking's the, doing well. But yeah. And shrink, Shrinking's doing well um, with Harrison Ford and Jason Siegel. But like, I, those are, those Although are, spir- Spirited was, uh, Spirited did okay, was, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Movie yeah. That's true. Okay. Well, it, yeah. it hit the, it hit the, you know, perfect. It's, it's a holiday movie. People <laughs> love watching holiday movies at the holidays. <laughs> yeah, uh, with Ryan so. Reynolds and Will Ferrell, which didn't help. Yeah. It didn't hurt either. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I'd say, so I'd say the reason to do movies, if you're, if you're them and not just make more series, is that, you know, considering most series don't become, um, addictive addictive and they don't become ted lasso if you get one piece of buzz when a series launches um so basically you get you get you get the first week um get the first week kickoff and if you're lucky you get the season finale if you're netflix that all happens at once so you get so so your buzz all comes in uh in a a couple days so a movie gives you the exact same amount of buzz as a series does in this scenario I, does it doesn't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I like you when you. I, I, I mean, no. I, no offense, Richard, but uh, but when but you put a movie put a movie like uh, Red Notice out, right? So you spend you spend two hundred million dollars on Red Notice, and uh, the it gets you your it gets you your couple weeks of views, and it does really well. And then I have literally never heard anybody mention Red Notice ever again, except to be like, "Hey, have you you remember that movie Red Notice?" Um, so but how, this is how would the, you how would you compare the buzz for Red Notice versus the buzz for the last season of The Last Kingdom, which may well, have been comparable budgets? Here's here's what I my I have a secondary point here, which is that I think Netflix's release strategy is bad. I've always thought the the dump everything all at once model is bad. Uh, I I think Disney Plus and the rest of the services have a much better idea going week by week and letting buzz build on stuff. Um, or at the very least, keeping it in the conversation for longer. That would be that would be how I I, I mean I it I I I agree with you that the that the um that the buzz level is about the same. But if you just look at the actual number of again minutes viewed, hours viewed, whatever whatever the metrics that they use are, the TV shows shows always do better. They always do better. They're always viewed for more minutes. Especially yeah. when you look at Apple, right? Oh, sorry. When you look at Apple, yeah. it's like Ted Lasso, one of their most popular shows. It's not It's not dropping as a binge. It's dropping weekly, right? And so right. it's like you get, you get more shots on goal that way. You don't have to gang up on you, Richard. But it's like, yeah, I, I think sort of in terms of a release. Well, make but they only, they only have one Ted Lasso. Their other shows, by and large, don't don't produce that ongoing uh, buzz. So I'm, I'm, but you have the renewed opportunity to have more buzz with each week's episode i feel even if they wind up not taking advantage of that you have the renewed opportunity especially with uh, a hungry entertainment consumer press uh, so i'll i'll just go back to uh what 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 is the reason to make movies it's because you want to be in the movie business yeah right and if if you want to make money uh, then i can recommend a lot of industries that are that are much better ways to do it or just buy t-bills uh and and you'd be you'd be much safer but uh you make movies because you want to be you like the big premiere and the big lights and you're hoping to hear your name called on oscar night and, and everything else 
Uh, Richard, I think this is your 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 best point about Apple is that I have no, what are they doing in this business? What are they doing well, in this? But like, why are they here? I will put forth a theory. And I often ask that question, Sonny, but it just kind of you know this conversation kind of crystallized. It's you know it's they're buying cultural relevancy. What has Apple always been seen as? Is the you know it's having that presence in the in the in the industry. Apple TV Plus, you know, is, is it's hard to see how it is to make money. Uh, so if it isn't to make money, what are you doing? So that would be all right. We want to be a presence in the culture. Their strategy so far hasn't yielded a lot because it's hard to get over that you know paywall. Apple TV Plus was free for a year when Ted Lasso first came out, which is why everybody could watch it. If Ted Lasso would come out in the current model. It's a lot harder to get over that paywall to get people inside, but you don't have that base. Every streamer is kind of finding that right now to a degree and smaller, especially on the smaller side. So back to Elaine's point about, you know, awards and it's like, all right, how do you create cultural relevancy? A $30 million ad campaign for a movie. That's how you do it. Is it going to get the, you know, the, the viewership, Sonny, as you say, to justify the subscriber ads to the budget? It's hard to see how a $200 million movie is ever going to do that, but Will it keep people talking about Apple? And it's like they, they're realizing that you need as much as you need that Timothy Chalamet, you know, brand campaign, which they do spend the money on. You need those movies and the, those 30 to 40 million dollar marketing campaigns, which just again, for it's a loss leader. Exactly right. But it makes Apple and Apple TV part of the cultural conversation, which is what. Apple has always, you know, strived to be whatever their products might be. So it's hard to say a dollar and cents way, but as I said, it's 0.2% of their revenue from last year. It's not like that, you know, they don't have, and they made $30 billion in profits in the last three months of 2022. So, I mean, some people want, that's how they view their success of their brand is by having this and this theatrical play. I think they've realized we need to do this to achieve that goal of why we were even in this business, um, which is to have people talking about us. So, Well, speaking of that cultural relevancy, let's talk about the A-list of it all, right, with Mm, Apple. Because when I've talked to folks, again, I was working on this big streaming rankings last year, sort of what's the most appealing streamer to take your show or project to. And Apple has an HBO like Halo, and a big part of that is they know that despite its uh, curation and there's a limited, it's not a volume play, right? Apple TV plus it's it's more of a quality play, but they know they're going to have a list attached. Um, The less flattering uh, term for it that I've also heard is, you know, (laughs) Apple TV plus is uh, that they're star fuckers, right? They only want a list. Um, I guess this is a question for you guys. Like how much do you feel like this is to satisfy the a list talent on their roster to have more of that theatrical, the pomp of a theatrical release versus I don't think like Tim Cook is out there to like just try and please the A-list talent, but it's like what what part of that uh, the conversation do you think it is? Totally, one hundred. The the first thing I thought when I saw this story uh, the other day was, oh, this is this is a shot across the bow of Netflix. This is a way to say to people mm. who are considering right. a project at Netflix, you're considering it over there. You know, it'll be uh, it'll be on the homepage of Netflix for a day or two, then it's going to kind of disappear into the morass, or you get the three month ad campaign and you do, you do the press junket and we are doing the whole and we'll still pay thing. you and we'll still pay you. We're st- <laughs> don't worry. You're still getting your money. The, uh, I, th- I think it all goes together. It's, uh, they get Oscars that they makes the talent happy. It makes Tim cook happy. Everybody's uh, it, it, it puts a halo on, on Apple. I mean, how, what is the marketing value of, of, for a company like Apple, a winning uh, 
an Oscar compared to, you know, if you had a new ad campaign, you might spend $300 million on that, that ad campaign. Yeah. Winning an Oscar and, and Apple makes quality products with the best people. It, it all just puts a halo on the whole company. And it, um, it it makes Netflix look like a bunch of sheepskates, so, as you say. so. Yeah. And back to Sunday, you know, your point about, you know, movies two hours long, a series is, you know, 10 hours or whatever it might be, but... A, a movie campaign is part of the conver- you know, Cocaine Bear was a two month conversation. It was at the Oscars. If Cocaine Bear was a Netflix movie, that would not that joke wouldn't have landed at the Oscars with the bear. It's like, you know, there is something to that where a movie just keeps you part of the conversation longer, even if the thing itself on the service, you're right, may not be, you know, uh the thing that keeps the engagement or adds the subscribers in in a sense too. Um so Anyway, speaking of which, the conversation, you, uh, John Wick 4 in theaters today. So uh, the tracking is, you know, 65 to 70 million. Most people, but by, by poll yesterday, people were thinking it's going to be much more or higher than 68 million. Sonny's, Sonny's giving me a thumbs up there. Uh, you've seen the movie, Sonny, uh, I guess. Uh, I have the, the, the pleasure of seeing it as well. Did, you did, went did you... to the premiere. You were you're fancy. You're, <laughs> I saw. Did you do you IMAX? Saw it on or IMAX? No? no, I saw. Yeah. I saw it at my draft house, which uh, does not okay. uh, have an IMAX. Um, I I liked it. I think I liked it a little less than some of my critical colleagues. But I I love these movies. I'm a total sucker for them. I find them. I find them sneakily profound. Um, and this movie is uh this this movie is like uh, Chad Stileski realized he will never have more money and more freedom, <laughs> and he's like, I'm putting all my ideas. <laughs> on the big screen i'm putting every idea i got you want yeah. i want to have a sumo wrestler fight an armored yeah. uh gunman and then we're gonna do that i'm gonna have i'm gonna put scott adkins in a fat suit and he's gonna do <laughs> kicks in a waterfall it's gonna be amazing i it, it, that that's what the whole movie feels like to me uh and it, it works it works on that level yeah and it is about two hours and 49 minutes so you're getting your money get your money's worth uh at the theater elaine will you be uh joining this weekend for some action or uh not on your radar i have two children under 10 can i bring them <laughs> is it advisable <laughs> do you want them kicking each other afterwards i think probably not so yeah they, they I mean, get inspired yeah my I, 11 my 11 year old is demanding uh oh. to, to go to john wick oh really it's, okay it is All right. it is it's very cartoon like i mean it depends on how much you want your kids <laughs> seeing lots of gunplay i guess but it is very like looney right. tunes anyway uh i'll be breaking that down of course in the wake up on monday morning the box office numbers as well as uh shazam week two were you a shazam uh person sunny or did you uh sit that one out i hated shazam 2 more than i've hated any movie okay. in a long long time i i resented i resented the last 10 minutes of this film where i like uh, I, i'm not gonna do i'm not gonna do my whole rant but there the the last 10 minutes of this movie it it, it the, the whole rest of the movie builds to this kind of like fitting end for the shazam verse whatever dc is rebooting everything like you, you they could have just cut it off there and the last 10 minutes are pointless uh universe building that kind of undoes everything that came before it and is like hey we're gonna keep up with these movies and it's just like why why it's the worst thing i've i was so mad <laughs> I, I took my I took my son to Shazam too, and he thought it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> not that reaction, Richard. You didn't get a rant of the car ride. No, home? he was, that, no? was okay. not. Uh, he and his friend did not leave the, the. I thought it was funny in the last ten minutes um, that they point out the ridiculousness of the DC universe uh, in, ter- uh, in terms of Justice League and Justice Society, and they raise the questions about this, and then uh, do nothing to answer them. 
So that was that. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what the public thinks on uh, on Monday morning. As always, everybody, thanks for listening. You can follow uh, The Angler on the socials uh, at The Angler. And, of course, subscribe to get all of our full suite of newsletters and podcasts at TheAngler.com, where you can also check out Sonny's podcast. The Bulwark goes to Hollywood, so go in there. And uh, a lot of great conversations um, to go check out. And uh, we will see you next week. 